I want to begin today with a little audience participation. I want you to grab your bulletin and uh, write down a prediction about the future. All right, bulletin or scrap of paper or something, and it can be anything, all right, just whatever uh, strikes your fancy today. Maybe it'll be sports-related, you know, that the Colts will make the playoffs, or that the World Series will be the Dodgers versus the Astros. As of Thursday, they had the best record. Uh, or maybe it'll be something political, you know, you'll make a prediction about how many seats the Republicans or Democrats will gain or lose this uh, in 2018, or, or maybe something technological, you know, like the next iPhone will come equipped with a feature that administers a severe shock when you repost fake news on Facebook, you know, something useful. Um, so write down a prediction here. Guys, let's play a little music to put people in the mood uh, to, to prognosticate the future. Uh, I want you to write down a prediction and go. Thinking, forecasting out into the future, preparing our minds. I promise you we did not put anything in the communion today. It's not been laced with anything. All right. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. You got it? You ready? All right, now I want you to turn to someone nearby and share your prediction with the future. Go ahead and just share those with someone you got, because this is important, this, this matters. All right, very good. If you've got your Bibles, open them to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. That's where we're going to start today, is 2 Peter 1, 16. I want to thank you for being here. Uh, if, it, if you're new, if it's your first time here at Chapel Rock, or if you've just been coming for a few weeks, uh, I'd love to meet you. Uh, when we're all done today, I'll be out in the lobby. Uh, at the, the missions fair, so I want to encourage you, if you want to connect uh, with, with me, just when we're done, uh, head out there and, and try to find me out there in the lobby. I uh, want to make sure to encourage you, if you haven't done that, to, to do that. Also, I want to make you aware, uh, this coming Saturday, guys, men, listen up, this coming Saturday's Pastor's Bible Study. Didn't meet last month because of the 4th of July, but that's this, this coming Saturday uh, at 7.30 in the, in the parlor, so I want to encourage you to be here. Um, if you're joining us online, thank you so much for logging in from wherever you are. Dave mentioned earlier that the, they watched from far away, and it's exciting to see our people connect uh, that way. We have added a feature uh, to our online streaming thing. It's an online connection card. So if uh, no matter where you are, if you would, uh, just scroll down. It's in the bottom right part of your screen there, and uh, just let us know that you're logging in, especially if you normally attend on site. Uh, we'd love to know that you're logging in, uh, you know, from wherever. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here today. We're concluding our sermon series called Armored today. Over the last uh, month or so, we've been looking at these ideas that we wanted to be able to defend our faith with passion and precision. We want to be able to defend our faith with enthusiasm and excitement and go, yes, we believe this, we're excited about it. But we also want to be right and correct in the way that we relate with people. And so we're, we're talking about defending prophecy today. Now, I want you to talk back to me, church. How would you know if what a prophet said, if they were actually a prophet? How would you know that they were? 
if it came true, right? I mean, that's the only way we know is if a prophet is really a prophet if what they say comes true. But is prediction the same thing as prophecy? Eh, not really. I mean, they share some similarities, but they're not exactly the same thing. The implication in prophecy is that it has some kind of divine source, that there's a God who's inspiring this future prognostication. And that is absolutely the case when we consider biblical prophecy. Here's the definition of prophecy that I like best. It goes like this. A prophecy occurs when someone, could be man or woman, speaks or writes, so it could be a spoken thing or a written thing or the writing down of a spoken thing, speaks or writes on behalf of God to reveal his will for the present or future or both to his people and the fulfillment of which either literally or symbolically, shows the revelation to be of divine origin. Okay? So a prophecy is when someone speaks on behalf of God, reveals his will for the future or the present to his people, and and that's fulfilled either literally or symbolically, and that shows that that revelation is of divine origin, that it comes from God. As Dave alluded to earlier, the biggest reason that Christians need to defend prophecy is that the Messiahship of Jesus is based on it. If Jesus isn't the fulfillment of prophecy, then he isn't who he said he was. So for for us as Christians, we have to defend this because the very essence of who Jesus is is based on this idea of prophecy and fulfilled prophecy. Besides his resurrection... And his miracles, Jesus' fulfillment of prophecy is one of the biggest factors that shows that he was God in the flesh and therefore should be worshiped and obeyed. And that leads us to our big idea this morning. I think you're going to learn some amazing things today, but if you don't get anything else, here's what you need to take home. Prophecy reveals the will of God for the future and for today. So the best defense of prophecy is when we live according to God's will. That's where we're going. That's, that's the point this morning. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of different stuff, and I think you're going to learn some things maybe that you didn't know already, but, but the, at the end of the day, that's where we come down to it. <laughs> prophecy reveals the will of God, so if you want to defend prophecy, you need to live according to his will. But to really do that, we need to clarify our terms. So we're going to spend some time doing that today. It, just as in weeks previous, we're going to follow the same structure. Here's what's true. Here's why that matters. Here's what to do about it. Here's how. Okay, so let's talk about what's true. There are three truths that we need to uphold when we defend prophecy. There are really more, but we're going to talk about three today. And they exist in kind of a one-one-two pattern. All right, here's the first one. Number one, prophecy has one source, the Holy Spirit. Prophecy has one source. The singular source of prophecy is the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that spoke through Moses and David and Elijah is the same one who spoke through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul. It's this idea that Peter is defending in his second letter. Let's look at our Bible passage, the first one of two major ones we're going to look at today. In 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Look at this with me. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. 
We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He's talking about the transfiguration. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says the source of prophecy is the Holy Spirit. God speaks to his people through his Spirit. And he uses a couple interesting words here. First of all, he says that the origin of true prophecy is not the human will, it's the Spirit of God. The word translated origin in that passage is is a form of the word for birth or to be born. He's saying that prophecy is born from the will of God, that though it's the will of God that creates prophecy, it reveals it. Prophecy is brought into being by the Spirit of God. Secondly, Peter says that prophets are carried along by the Spirit. In the New Testament, that's the normal word for, for to pick up or, or bring or, or carry something, but it's used in Acts 27, verses 15 and 17 to talk about the wind that drove the Apostle Paul's ship along in the storm. It, it, it just it drove it on. It carried it. He says that that's the way prophecy is. When God gets a hold of your heart, it bears you along. You can't stop it. It just pushes you along. It's the same thing Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. He says, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is, like, is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The prophecy comes from the Spirit. It wells up inside, and it just, the prophets are carried along by the Spirit of God. <laughs> the point here is that true prophecy only comes from God. That's the source. But why does it even exist at all? Well, that's the second reason. (laughs) Prophecy has one purpose, to reveal the will of God. That's the only reason prophecy exists. It doesn't, listen to me, prophecy doesn't exist so that when you go to church, you'll have a, whoa, that's amazing kind of moment. That's, unless the will of God does that for you. Prophecy exists to reveal the will of God, period, full stop. That's what it's for. In prophecy, God reveals himself to us. And it's not just what he's going to do in the future, though that's what we tend to get most excited about. He reveals his character in prophecy. He reveals his priorities in prophecy. He reveals his values in prophecy. If you want to understand who your God is but don't want to deal with prophecy, you will have an incomplete picture. That's how we understand the character, will, and nature of God. Prophecy reveals the will of God. It is a revelation of what God wants for humankind. Yes, it's what he's going to do, but it's also how he wants us to live. Do you understand the connection between those two? That what God wants for the future has implications in the present. God wants you to become like Jesus. What's that mean? Better start today. God wants you to be ready for glory one day. He's going to glorify you. He's going to perfect you. What's that mean? He's starting this morning. 
It reveals his will. And his will for the future and his will for the present are not in conflict. In fact, they're in concert. They go together. And that leads us to the third truth this morning, that prophecy has two expressions, foretelling and forth-telling. Foretelling and forth-telling. For those listening on audio later, that's F-O-R-T-H-E-L-L-I-N-G. Forth-telling, to tell forth. See, in the Bible, there are two expressions of prophecy. There's foretelling... That's God revealing his will for the future. He's saying what's going to happen one day. And sometimes this statement about a future event may have more than one fulfillment. The scholars call this double-layer fulfillment prophecy or double-fulfillment prophecy. Let me give you an example. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7. Look at this with me. Isaiah 7, 14. This is a messianic prediction. Uh, the, prophet is speaking, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the king Ahaz. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this is given to a king in the northern kingdom of Israel 700 years before Jesus is born. But I want you to notice, he says, the Lord will himself will give who a sign? You. Ahaz, the king. Not shepherds in a field in Jerusalem, around, around, around Bethlehem rather, but Ahaz, the king, in the northern kingdom. It has to have meant something to him. Otherwise, it's not prophetic. It has to be a sign for him. It has to be fulfilled in his lifetime so that he will know that Isaiah is speaking from God. And so then we read later in the chapter, it says, so I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Now, in this instance, the word translated virgin there can just mean young woman. It, doesn't, it, it has taken on a very technical sense for us. At the time, it, could, it was pretty flexibly used. It could mean young woman. It could mean young woman who's never been with a man like Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and that's how it gets used in the New Testament. The point is, what this is, is a double fulfillment prophecy. It was fulfilled twice. Literally, in the case of Isaiah, in his own time, so that it would be assigned to Ahaz. But it was also fulfilled, again, literally, and even maybe more literally, <laughs> in the time of Jesus, referring to him. Now, the son that he, that he conceived with his wife was not named Emmanuel, but Meher Shalol Hashbaz. Can you imagine being in preschool having to write that? Meher Shalol Hashbaz on your paper? Be awful. Um, but this is this foretelling. He's telling the future here, and it's... it's it's double layer. And this happens a lot in, in Bible prophecy, where you have two fulfillments of, of uh, a prophecy. But you also have forth telling. And this is God revealing his will for the present. This is saying how his people should live now. And most, listen to me, church, most of what you read in Bible prophecy is forth telling, not foretelling. The vast majority of what we read in the prophets is God saying, this is how I want you to live right now. Not worried about the future. In their excellent book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart write this. Less than 2% of Old Testament prophecy is messianic. Less than 5% specifically describes the new covenant age. Less than 1% concerns event yet to come in our time. 
What that means is that over 92% of the prophetic material in the Bible is about the way that God's people should conduct their lives right now. You want to defend prophecy? You live according to God's will now. That's the best defense of prophecy. Because over 92% of what we read in the Bible is about how we ought to live today. It's the forth-telling aspect of the prophets in the Bible. Now let's talk about why that matters. Just as there are three truths that we need to understand about prophecy so we can defend it, there are three reasons why this matters. They, they correspond one to, one to each one. Here, here's the first one. Number one, real prophecy can't be wrong. The first reason that real prophecy or true prophecy, one that's from God, absolutely has to be correct. Or God isn't God. <laughs> and God gave that qualification through Moses. Here's the second main passage that I want us to look at. This is God describing what, what a prophet, a true prophet of God is like in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at this. He says, the nations you will dispossess, and the Canaanites and Amorites, all the ites, okay? Listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. And divination is a, is a, a technical term that they used all sorts of different ways to, uh, they would, some would communicate with the dead, others would open up a sacrificial animal and look at its liver. I mean, there's all these horrible things. Uh, they, they cast lots, I mean, all these different things. So they practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses, he is the one saying this, from among you from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. He's predicting the ministry of Jesus. For this is what you ask of the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, same place, on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire anymore or we will die. This is Mount Sinai, God coming down in glory on top of the mountain, okay? The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet from like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put their words, or I put my words in his mouth. That is the essence of prophecy, my friends. That's what prophecy is about. It's God putting his words in a human being's mouth. Now, I want you to catch the contrast here. Don't miss this. They're saying, we don't want to hear the voice of God. It's, it's too scary. So what's God do? He puts his voice in a human being, a man named Jesus. And he speaks through him. He, he, he takes all of this great, oh, Mount Sinai, and pours it into one human being, the man Jesus. He says, I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell, every, tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Okay? Now catch this, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. And you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Back in 1958, Peter W. Stoner, the chairman of the Department of Mathematics at Pasadena City College, and Dr. Robert C. Newman, who had a PhD in astrophysics from Cornell University, wrote a book entitled, Science Speaks, Scientific Proof for Accuracy of Prophecy and the Bible. 
And you can read it for free at that web address. So if you want to pull out your camera and take a picture, it'll, guys, just leave that up there for a little bit so people can write it down. It's, it's free. The PDF is free online. It's an amazing book. Uh, sciencespeaks.dstoner.net, okay? Uh, that's, that's the URL there. This book explored what's known as the law of compound probability. Now, remember, we talked about last week how a, a miracle sometimes is a, a reversal of, of the law of prob- probability. Like, there's no way that could happen unless God's really doing it, okay? So we talked about probability last week. This explores the law of compound probability. The idea, how, okay, so one prediction, what are the odds? Okay, what are, what are the odds of two predictions about the same person being true? Okay, what are the odds of three predictions about the same person being true? And so on and so forth, okay? This book was vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation at the time. It set out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling even only eight of the 60 major prophecies about Jesus, not to mention the 250 other uh, prophecies slash prophetic allusions uh, fulfilled by the life of Christ. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight of the 60 major predictions about him is one in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, that's that's... One with 17 zeros after it. That's the odds of one guy fulfilling even eight of the 60 major prophecies about Jesus, not to mention the, the 250 other minor illusions about him. Think about that. The, uh, th- those odds are infinitesimally small. Basically, it would be like this. If you took the entire state of Texas, filled it two feet deep with silver dollars, and marked one, and chucked it out there and mixed it all up real good, and then you put a blind guy in Dallas and said, go, and the first one you pick up, if it's the marked one, those are the same odds. Of, of even eight prophecies about Jesus coming true. The chances of one man, as Stoner and Newman calculated it, to fulfill all 60 is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's a 1 with 157 zeros out of it. Those are the odds of one person accidentally fulfilling these prophecies. And yet they all came true in the person of Jesus. That's powerful evidence for the Christian faith. And if you want to learn more about this, there's a handout. Um, Because of the missions fair, the information desk, the black little counter there that they use, has been moved. Uh, It's in Connection Corner uh, by the coat room. And there's a handout on it with about, it's about just 200 of the major messianic predictions about Jesus uh, on it. And it just, here's, here's where the prediction is made. Here's the fulfillment. Now, here's the thing. Some of them are literal. He will be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Jesus can't possibly control that, right? It, you know, uh, apart from being God. Um, he, he, he just, you can't control where you're born. Um, now, some of the things he could consciously fulfill, right? The, the, he coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, he could conscious, conscientiously act to fulfill that. But you can't choose where you're born. Because trust me, if you could, I would not have picked Joplin, Missouri. Um, <laughs> but, So there's there's all these predictions about him. Some are very literal and specific. Some are much more of a a, a symbolic or an illusion. It's a much more of a um, an emphasis thing. For example, you know the passage Psalm 22 is very symbolic about the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, "I can count all my bones." Well, does that mean he was completely emaciated? Well, I mean, you know, probably not. But the idea is that he's 
physically just um, taken down to nothing. What I'm saying here is that historical fact and prophetic revelation function in a synchronistic relationship. Prophecy reveals future history, and eventually history confirms that prophecy is accurate and therefore of divine origin. In other words, real prophecy can't be wrong or it's not real. It's fake. It's false. The second truth that we see here is that God loves us enough to reveal himself to us. God loves us enough to reveal himself to us. It's a pretty simple thought, but it's related to the idea that God revealed his will for humans both in the future and in, for today in prophetic speech, which was written down as well as the writings of the prophets themselves. He did that because he loves us. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't tell you how to live so that you could be in a covenant relationship with him so that you could go into eternal life. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't tell you that stuff. He'd just let you go to hell. He, wouldn't, he doesn't have to tell you anything. He's God. You're not. Get used to the idea. He doesn't have to tell you anything. But because he loves you, because he wants you to be in a covenant relationship with him, because he wants you to enter eternity and spend eternity with him, he tells you these things. God gives us his will because he loves us. And that really leads us to the third thing, is that the Lord is concerned with how you live now because he knows your future. God really cares about the way that you live now because he knows. Now we get into a whole, we don't have time to talk about this, we'll spend another time talking about free will and predestination and all that stuff. Here's the way I see it. I think God knows the result of every choice you will ever take for the rest of your life. And you're still, you're still free to make them. And he's so sovereign, he knows the result of every choice. It's up to you to decide. Today, you know, now is the day to decide. Today's the day. God is so sovereign, he knows all those choices. That's the way I see it. That's what makes sense to me and harmonizes what the Bible says about predestination and free will. And I know that's another thing for another time. But because God knows, he cares about the future, he cares about how you live now. See, prophecy is both foretelling and forthtelling. And because of that, it, because it unites the two, we see this as important because it teaches us that our present is connected with our future. And this protects us from the error of being worried about what will happen in the end times without also being even more concerned about what happens today. So let's talk about how to take action on these things. Let's talk about how, what, what to do about it. There are really two practical action steps we need to take. Here's the first one. Number one, obey prophecy. Obey prophecy. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, wait, what? Like, how do you do that? I mean, I know we have the passages about, you know, J Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey like he fulfilled it intentionally. Yeah, but how, how do you do this? How do you obey prophecy? Well, believe it or not, the Bible tells us how to do this. Look at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. Look at this with me. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it, and this is going to be crucial, look at this, take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, there's one thing I want to highlight here. It's vital that you hear this and understand this. The word translated take to heart in verse 3 
is translated that same way nowhere else in the NIV. Almost every single time that word appears, it is translated obey or heed. I don't know why the translation committee chose to use the phrase take to heart. It is not the best translation. It doesn't fit anywhere else. I think that they were confused. They were like, how do you obey a prophecy? If you've got in your mind that prophecy is all about the future and not about today, then yes, that will be confusing. But if you understand that 92% of prophecy is about what happens here and now today, then you need to obey prophecy. He's saying here, this book of Revelation that gets everybody all wound up, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The purpose of Revelation is not, listen to me, not just to tell you what's going to happen, but to motivate you to live the way Jesus would have you live right now, today, so that you're ready when all that stuff that's going to happen, happens. You want to get excited about, I, I, I don't understand people get excited about prophecy and aren't just as excited about the way we live our lives right now. Because you all wound up about what's going to happen. Are you ready? Are you doing it now? That's the point. So how do you obey a prophecy? You live like it's going to come true, that's how. How many of you filled your pantry a little extra full the last week of December 1999? Anybody? Okay, I'm not the only one. Remember the whole Y2K thing? The world's going to end. We're all going to die. What happened? Nothing. We stayed up late and worried for nothing. A couple computers freaked out. That's it. See, so, so, so people who went out and filled their pantry full, they only kind of thought the Y2K bug would destroy society. Right? They just kind of, like, you know, just in case things get bad for a week or so. They'll figure it out. I mean, did, did anybody in here stock up on food and water and guns and ammo and buy property in Wyoming? Okay, I didn't think so. So none of you really believe that society was just going to fall apart on December, uh, you know, 31st, 1999. See, if you want to obey prophecy, you live like it's going to come true. Here's the second thing. You live in the future. The second thing we're supposed to do is live in the future. If you really believe that what the Bible says about the future is true, you need to live like that. Prophecy is a little bit like having a time machine. If you could travel into the future and see how things are, you'd do things differently now, wouldn't you? Exhibit A, Biff Tannen in Back to the Future 2. Right? Buys the sports book, goes back in time, bets on all the games, wins a lot of money. If you knew how things were going to happen in the future, you'd live differently today. Well, guess what, my friends? You do. So live differently today. When we faithfully live like what the Bible says about the future is true, it makes a better, more convincing defense to a skeptical world. When you live like what the Bible says is true, it makes defending prophecy to a skeptical world a whole lot easier. Scientists at the Goddard Space Flight Center report that one of the largest stars in our galaxy is about to self-destruct. Eta Carinae, which has a mass 100 times greater than that of our sun, is giving signs that its life is about over. Researchers say that it could become a supernova and possibly the brightest star in the night sky within the next 10,000 years. Now here's what makes that interesting. That star is over 7,500 light years away. 
What that means is it takes 7,500 years for the light from that star to reach our planet. What that means is it could already have exploded. It could have gone supernova. We don't know it yet because the light hasn't gotten here. In other words, it is a future reality for, for, for us that one day if the Lord tarries, if he waits that long, please, Jesus, don't wait that long. But if he waits that long, people on this planet will look up and see this vast, bright explosion in the sky. Y'all, this could have happened when Jesus was on earth. It could have happened when Abraham walked the earth. We don't know. It, it's already, I mean, it may have already happened. It's, it's, it's the present there, but it's the future for us. And for a God who exists outside time, that's no big deal. That's similar to Bible prophecy. These events are spoken of in the future, but in the mind of God, they've already happened. He can know the future with 100% certainty because he's already there. So tell me again why you're afraid to trust him with your future. He's already there. He knows it. Why are you afraid? Bible prophecy ought to teach you, if it doesn't teach you anything else, it should teach you do not be afraid to trust your future to God. <laughs> because he already knows it. You are not stepping into the unknown, but you are, indwe you are indwelt with the only one who knows. So let's talk about how to do this. Real quick, here's how to do this. Let me give you two practical ways to defend prophecy. Number one, study the word. Study the word. You need to study the word of God, not only to know and understand the prophets, but also because you can't obey what you don't know. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, don't do it, because it'd be embarrassing, but how many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket because you didn't know what the speed limit was? Don't raise your hand, don't point, whatever you do. Um, some of you guys are getting elbowed under the pew by your wife. You know, I don't know. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know the law. Doesn't, doesn't, sorry, it doesn't work. You, you can't obey laws you don't know. You can't understand what you don't study. If someone says that God revealed to me that you should X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, then after you've checked it against Scripture to be sure it's consistent with the Word of God, you should filter that through your community. Your life group, your Sunday school class, your Bible study, your good Christian friends. Daniel, as Deuteronomy 18 says, there's a community accountability that was practiced regarding prophecy in the Bible. You need to study the Word and, and do it with others so that you understand what God wants for you. The second thing is this. You restructure your values and actions according to those of the kingdom. See, here's how this works. Because the prophet's word from God allowed them to speak accurately about the future, we should trust their far more common moral instruction about a word from God and obey it today as well. See, because they spoke accurately about the future, you should put just as much stock in what they said about today and do that too. You restructure your values and your actions according to those of the kingdom of God. When we obey the foretelling word of the Lord, it will help people put their trust in the foretelling word of the Lord. Let me give you an example. You've seen those guys. Street corners, city blocks, <laughs> down near the racetrack on Memorial Day weekend. The end is near. Right? They're holding the sign. They've got the sandwich board on them. The end is near. 
I, I haven't worked up the courage yet. One day I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk up to that guy and say, you don't really believe that. You don't really believe that. Because if you did, you'd be doing something very differently. <laughs> you'd either be building a bunker in Wyoming, or you'd put down the sign and you'd go to every person you know personally and say, Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to go? Are you living your life today for Jesus? Because if you really believe that the end is near, if you really believe this is it, man, do not pass go, do not collect $200, it's game over, here we go, then you're going to do one of two things. You're going to build a bunker in Wyoming, or you're going to, this is far better, go to all your friends and tell them, do you know Jesus? Are you ready to step into eternity? Because if you really believe the end is near, what are you doing about it now? We line up our lives to the revealed word of the biblical prophets, both Old and New Testament, whose primary role was not to tell the future, but to call people back to their relationship with God. Then we will have so much more believability when we speak into our culture from a prophetically informed perspective. Did you hear me today? Prophecy reveals the will of God for the future and for today. And so the best defense of prophecy is when we live according to to the will of God. What about you? Will you do that today? Will you defend prophecy with your life? Maybe you're ready to surrender your life to the one who determines your future. Ready to confess Christ as Lord, say, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future, and I want him to have my life. Then this is a time for you. We're going to stand and sing together. You can come to the front, confess Christ as Lord. We'll baptize you today. You're ready for eternity. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've got a choice to make. <laughs> you've got something out there in your future, and you don't really know what you should do, and you need to filter that through some godly counsel. We've got the next step room. We've got leaders in there who'd love to talk with you. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're afraid about what the future holds. That could be anything, health, politics, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. You just want someone to pray with you. We've got people down front who are ready to do that. Will you stand with me as we sing together this morning?
guys just remain standing for a bit. I want to ask Ruth Ann, Shadow.